Welcome to The Music That Makes Us, a podcast of music and musicians that help shape and form various stages of our musical lives. From early childhood to early adulthood to now, neither of us are music professionals of any kind, just fans of music, and we just want to talk about how it affects our lives. So sit back and put on those headphones and take a trip back or maybe forward on this musical journey. I'm Donnie Z. And I'm Randy T, ready to take you back to The Music That Makes Us. For today's episode, we will be looking at at the musical icon that is Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band and how their music came to be in our lives. Okay, welcome back. Uh, it's been a uh quite a long time our longest gap yeah long time it's been pretty busy around these these lives of ours with kids and and all that jazz kids covid school <laughs> families yes equipment issues well and uh you know i gotta be honest with you um when we decided to do Bruce Springsteen, um, I knew it was going to be a monster on just gathering information and listening to his music. And there are, is a ton of, listen, of music to listen to. A I ton. Mean, there, we could easily do four to five podcasts on Springsteen. His catalog is so dense. I mean, and that's just with majority of the popular songs that most people know. Right. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like today we're going to more concentrate on the beginning of his career. Yep. Take us. Um, from you know, greetings all the way to um, born in um, born in the USA. Yeah, because we talked about how like our introduction, we basically went backwards, and we've kind of done that with majority of the bands that like we focus on like what albums that we um, were introduced to them to, and right. traditionally it's like right in that. 80s window when we were teenagers and, and what you know i gotta be honest with you i think that um most people would say they would have to go backwards yeah. um wh- with what i've discovered about album sales mm-hmm. and um where he was and some of his music and we'll get into that in a little bit but uh, i'm just kind of curious what what's your earliest memory of um the, the boss it's born in the usa it's the video it's just that you know live rendition he's on stage the up close and just the passion you can Mm -hmm. see in his face that leather jacket the headband the pumping of his fist and just the 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 patriotism that he just seems to exude in this song and everything it just kind of i mean you can't help but be captivated by bruce and his aura i mean and that's obviously evident through so much of what we're going to look at Mm -hmm. but you know right away it's just like who's this guy what is he, you know, I'm like, he's just, he was just cool too. Right. And I think cool is the, um, is the word for him. And that's what they were trying to market is cool. You know, you got to remember this was, uh, what was this? 84 when, uh, when it came out mm-hmm. when, and that's my earliest memory is, um, um, hearing on MTV born in the USA and dancing in the dark and getting to see him, you know, seeing this cool guy that they had put together, you know, on this, amazing album cover and then on in these videos and you're like you know what's going on during 84 i mean you're watching where's the beef commercials and you know gus busters coming out um arnold schwarzenegger saying i'll be back and you know dallas and dynasty are ruling the airwaves but uh, rocky and four the, and then there's bruce you know dancing in the dark and showing his american pride well what we thought you know was his american pride and songs you know were, his songs were all over the radio and yeah. it was almost like yeah it gives you the impression that if you didn't like bruce you just weren't cool exactly you weren't cool you weren't a patriot you didn't stand for any type of blue collar values and mm-hmm. that's that's who he represents obviously you know and he's I think he's so relatable too because he's just like us. He's a blue collar guy. He came from a you know middle to lower middle class mm-hmm. home. He wasn't a scholar. You know, we'll get into some of his early um, shenanigans, but he was not a school person at all. Right. It was like I want to play this. Is what I want to do. And while he wasn't necessarily a troublemaker, he didn't go out of his way to just follow the rules and right. be a nice kid either. But it's still that you know everyone has that kind of idea or message or whatever but then his songs just speak to you and the message and the words just pull you in and you can't help but put yourself in the place of the individuals that he's singing about 
Um, it's interesting. He grew up in Long Branch, and I, you know, when I saw Long Branch, that's a. Um, and when we're in Jersey visiting our friends Al and Wendy, we always take the train to New York. And it was, I think they've changed it since, but when we started going to New York years ago, you had to do a, a train switch in Long Branch. And, uh, and that's the reason I would remember it. I'm like, it's just this little dock, it's not even enclosed. <laughs> you, you hop, you, you, they were like, just get off one train and get on the other. That's all you got to do. I was, you know, all nervous. You got three kids trying to go to New York. And in Long Branch, where Springsteen, you know, grew up which is a cool little a cool cool little town on the on, you know right there in jersey yeah i'm sure it's pretty unassuming too and just speaks to the the blue collar nation notion that he just still imbi- in vibes to this day mm-hmm. um he grew up you know catholic and like you said in a middle class family he had some influence of hearing frank sinatra on the radio um kind of a loner as a, you know in high school and uh he bought his first guitar in 64 after seeing the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. Yeah. He said he bought it for $18.95. Yeah, that's one of the things I saw about him, too. Uh, you know, just the Beatles, you know, influential for a number of people. But just seeing that and just wanting or to pick something up mm-hmm. and just try playing a musical instrument. You know, we all have that. Yeah, I want to try, I want to try. And then we do and just kind of quickly lose interest, unfortunately. Yeah. But... Um, he, you know, in 64 to 71, he was kind of cutting his teeth on the Jersey shore and performing, you know, there and in places like Richmond, Virginia and, and Nashville, just trying to get noticed. He played with groups called like the, the Rogues and I guess the Castiles. Um, he played with a power trio uh, known as Earth. And he mentioned something I saw in the, um, the liner notes or somewhere on his most recent album, how, you know, some of his songs and writing from this most recent album that he put out um, really comes from the fact that he realized that while one of his first groups, he's the only one left alive. Yeah, he's, he's seen some tragedy through... The, diff- the different bands that he's been in, you know, mm-hmm. I mean, obviously E Street, we'll get to who's who's here and who's not here and whatnot, but, you know, just early on, and it's like, you know, we get to that certain part in our lives, we're, thankfully we're not quite there yet, but you reflect back on the early years, and it's just like, wow, just how many people that we started this journey with are, are with us anymore, unfortunately. Yeah. He played with uh, Dr. Zoom and Sonic Boom and, you know, another group, uh, a Sundance blues band. So quite a few bands while he was cutting his teeth. But in 72, you know, he gets his uh, audition with Columbia Records um, and b- begins to form the new band, which would eventually come, become called E Street uh, by 1974. And E Street, there is a real E Street. Yes, there That's is. part of the uh, info that I'm sure you knew mm-hmm. and looked up as well. Um, he didn't live on E Street, but the... What is it? The keyboard player, David Sanchez's mother, lived there, mm-hmm. and that's where they rehearsed. Yeah. So, and he, and this is about the time he's getting the nickname, and this is only time, the boss. Um, and apparently, they're not exactly sure why, but they think it's because he was the one that distributed the the nightly checks, you know, that they would earn, or possibly the many games of Monopoly played along the Jersey Shore with a bunch of musicians. So. Uh, whichever is true, don't know. <laughs> yeah, but he's definitely got the personality, the take charge, the lead. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you've ever heard any of his interviews, if you've seen um, him just, you know, how the way he takes control on stage when he's doing band intros, you know, and obviously you heard some different bootlegs or seen videos or whatever mm-hmm. of live performances. He's just so captivating. He, How can he be anything but the boss? Right, right. Uh, 73, um, they come out with greetings from Asbury Park. And uh, I absolutely love the cover of this. They still sell postcards there with that with with that as a postcard when you go to Jersey. And uh, it's kind of cool because we go to uh, we go to Asbury Park almost every summer to mm-hmm. visit some friends. And so we get an opportunity to see some of these bars, the Stone Pony, one of them, is, you know, where he started cutting his teeth and, yeah. and getting noticed. And it's kind of a cool atmosphere right there on the ocean and um, right there along the boardwalk. It's 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 really cool to see and, and experience. But he put out greetings from Asbury Park and. um you know, people, he was getting compared to Bob Dylan because of his lyrical poetry and mm-hmm. his folk rock rooted music um, and also his connections to Columbia Records. 
I mean, it makes sense because that's the first thing I thought of. I'm like, Springsteen is our generation's Dylan. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously we didn't grow up with Bob Dylan. Some people have kind of gravitated toward them mm-hmm. a little, but you know, they're obviously not the same because Dylan went through his phases where people felt betrayed when he went electric and this and that. And I don't think that's ever really happened with Springsteen. It's just kind of you are on board with him and you just ride that train until the very end. And it's, he hasn't necessarily done anything musically or professionally or personally that has caused anybody to you know want to jump off, but it is because he's just such a fantastic storyteller. Right. I mean, you get lost listening to those albums. Mm-hmm. You get reflective. You get, you know, if you're younger, you think to the future. If you're older, you think back to your youth. If you're middle aged, you're still kind of you're caught in between. But one way or another, I mean, he is our eras. He's the he's the Gen Z Dylan for and, sure. And definitely, I think as people get older, and I've noticed that you do sit back and reflect on his albums. I don't think sitting back and reflecting as a teenage kid and listening to his albums is something that is really easy for a teenager to do. No, but it's a lot easier for an adult to sit down. Yeah. And I mean, that's why I've enjoyed these last few months. It's, it's given me a chance to sit back and go, man, what an amazing writer he is. Yeah. Um, Crawdaddy Magazine, um, Lester Bangs was writing for them, and he said many of us dismissed it. He, you know, he wrote like Bob Dylan and Van Morrison, and sang like Van Morrison and Robbie Robertson, and then led a band that sounded like Van Morrison's. You know, and um, I just think that uh, I th- I think that he wasn't sure he wanted that. Um, the people to be marketed that way. Exactly. He's like, he wants to be his own man. I think that's what any musician wants right. from the get-go is to be the original mm-hmm. whoever they are, not the next coming of Dylan or Van Morrison or Robbie Robertson or anybody and just you know stand on their own merits and be able to separate themselves mm-hmm. from them, still be a part of that group in a sense, but not, you know, oh, I, you can hear that. Um, influence here in this song and the cadence and the way they do this and when he brings in the saxophone here that's definitely reminiscent of Mm -hmm. and I mean you're going to get that and like we've talked about in several other episodes you have just the influence of the record company and people trying to come and in that's and what i want to talk about with this album is the inf- influence of the, of the label the label really wanted bruce's individual songs on the album mm-hmm. but bruce preferred the band songs yeah. and you know so there was a compromise of you know of five of the bands and uh you know they were thought they were done and clive davis felt like there wasn't a hit on the album so bruce quickly wrote uh blinded by the light quickly and Spirit in the Night. Now, they're both great songs. Yeah. And Blinded by the Light, which is interesting, it's his only number one song in his career as a songwriter, and it wasn't him singing it. I know. It was, you know, it was Man for, Man Man for Man. Man's Earth Band reached yep. number one in 1977. Um, and, you know, he's, his highest charting as a solo artist would have been Dancing in the Dark, which we'll talk about later. But there's one other song that reached number one that he was involved with was um, We Are the World. Uh, which is, you know, kind of interesting. A little hit. <laughs> yeah, a little hit, just a little bit. Um, according to Bruce, you know, writing Blinded by the Light, he went through a rhyming dictionary and tried to search for the appropriate words, you know. <laughs> um, I love Madam Drummers, Bummers, and Indians in the Summer with a Teenage Diplomat, and it's actually autobiographical. Uh, Mad Men Drummer refers to his drummer, Vinny Lopez. The, Lopez, the Indians in the Summer was Bruce's Little League team, and teenage diplomat refers to Bruce. Um, it's and of course the cut up like a deuce is referring to a hot rod. So there's a lot of um, personal feelings in that in that in that in that song. And he just I mean he takes that and just throws it through not just his hits but almost every single song that he has put out. I mean just kind of going through the catalog because mm-hmm. you know we do go back and re-listen to quite a bit and I mean if not everything and just hearing it you know with the headphones on and really listening and focus because that's how I do it you mm-hmm. know I like to go back and do it that way instead of just putting it on and because it's easy to get distracted and mm-hmm. then, you know you really want to give it the attention it deserves definitely and I think his catalog more than anything has been the one that's been not taken the most time it's just because i find myself going back 
and listening and re-listening. And There's just, so much more to listen to. Yeah. And it's like, I didn't realize this the first time around or holy cow, this song is great mm-hmm. too. And it's like, what? Like, I just feel like I've been missing out for you, all these years. You know, I bought Asbury Park Greetings, um, I don't know, a few years ago because of Blinded by the Light. And mm-hmm. I started putting it on and this growing up song just kind of grew on me. It's, I mean, it's a great song. It's fantastic. <laughs> and it actually had been covered by Bowie with Ron Wood on guitar and also Pearl Jam covered that song. Well, growing up's in a, an Adam Sandler movie. Yeah. yeah. I think it's in Big Daddy. <laughs> and it's one of those, and it's, we don't quite, it's not the whole mm-hmm. thing. It's just part of the chorus. And then they just hit in the growing, and I'm like, ah, uh, and you know, and you can kind of tell that Springsteen, but, and it's a perfect fit for that film right and the theme and the idea and then again that's just part of what he's experiencing at that time too and it's now like okay i used to be this kid i was playing these bands i didn't have a lot of a of um responsibility and now we kind of do because you know it's not just me that's on the hook here it's all these other guys in the band and i think you know he's demonstrated early on he wants to show a personal responsibility for them by including them in all this and making it about everybody and not him. Right. Okay, so 1973 comes along and The Wild, The Innocent, and The E Street Shuffle is created, um, giving more of an R&B vibe, um, lyrics more about teenage life. It had little commercial success nationally, but it was more of a rock and roll sound than the first album. And, mm-hmm. You know, he's trying to get away from that Dylan comparison, probably. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's instinctual and natural to, to kind of go opposite you see people comparing you or making you you know these comparisons it's like okay well i'll put out something that's just the opposite of that then and whether it's commercially re- um, received or well reviewed or not <clears throat> isn't the issue it's the issue of what am i going to do or what are we going to do mm-hmm. to make ourselves unique in the landscape of the music world Right. And I think he brings up a lot of stuff from his personal life, again, which he always does. But mm-hmm. I think bringing more towards Asbury Park itself, especially with Fourth of July, Asbury Park, ah. where he mentions the the pinball way. There's a, actually a pinball museum on the boardwalk. And I don't know if it was there back then when he was writing this, but it's pretty cool because you can go into this museum even today and pay like. 10 bucks for an hour or whatever and get and, and get free play on all these pinball machines, which is pretty cool right there on the boardwalk. He also mentions the casino. And when people hear casino, I wonder how many people that aren't familiar with Asbury Park think of like a gambling casino. And that's mm-hmm. not what it is. It's a big building structure, which is kind of cool looking. It's right there and you just, it's there's nothing in it anymore. But it's just this beautiful, almost like 1920s looking um, um, deck, art deco structure right there on the beach hmm. in Asbury Park, which is kind of cool to see um, itself. And you can walk through it along the boardwalk because the boardwalk goes through it. Yeah, and I had no I mean, I knew, I had heard what boardwalk was. And obviously, you know, I played Monopoly. So, you know, you heard the term. But like when you, I start to hear it in his songs or references right. to them and everything. <laughs> Like, and I don't, you know, I was always curious if I didn't know a word, what it meant, I would look it up. So I'm mm-hmm. like, oh, okay. So then I could visualize when he's talking about these places in my mind. So I can go there and I can envision myself like him walking up and down and playing these games. And I'm like, man, that would, you know, just thinking as a kid or a teenager, that'd be fun. Like I, mm-hmm. I couldn't imagine if we grew up in a town that had a boardwalk like that in the summer all the shenanigans we right. get into and all the fun that we would have and, you know, just being teenage and, boys. And not to go off on a tangent here, I mean, that's what a lot of Jersey people do. They spend their summers out on the boardwalk. The the people we visit, uh, Al, Al had spent his entire childhood teenage life in the summers they rented uh, you had uh, they rented a tent it's half a tent and half a cabin in these these tents in uh, ocean grove new jersey and it's beautiful yeah. and then there's the boardwalk and it's right next to asbury park where it's more a little bit more commercial mm-hmm. right there on the boardwalk than ocean grove but ocean grove has the beautiful beaches 
and it's just uh, it's it's picturesque. It truly is picturesque, yeah. and that you can see why Springsteen, you know, came up with these amazing songs that he has because of what he's seeing around in his life. And it's in the '70s and '80s, you know, well, '60s for him, when, but '70s and '80s when mm-hmm. we were growing up. So it was, I'm sure, less unassuming than it might be now. Mm-hmm. You know, whether it's built up in and around there. Obviously, I don't know. I haven't been there. But, you know, not as commercialized and people aren't flocking out there. I mean, they're in Jersey itself, I'm sure. But, you know, you wouldn't think of New Jersey as a summer destination. Like, right. I'm going to go to Jersey for the summer. You you go to the shore for the summer, but now it's that's where everybody wants to go is the water. Where, right. where can I get to the water? Where can I get to the beach? Where can I? And, and just, a lot of people think south. Oh yeah, but I mean Jersey is just as just as romantic as it is. Oh, absolutely, in, in Florida actually it's a lot more comfortable depending on what time you go. Yeah, um, this album has uh, a song that I've recently discovered. Um, you know, and I, I it's uh, Rosalita. Ah, uh, you just discovered I did. Rosalita. I did. I did. Shame. I mean, on <laughs> yeah, you. I, I have to admit, but that's wow. why I love doing these things and digging in. And, um, you know, the Rolling Stone said, you know, it's one of the most influential songs in rock and roll. You know, it's one of their top 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. And it's just, um, it's, it's amazing. The, the, everything about this song, the, the, the feeling that you get, the, the, the sax, love the sax. I, I feel like Clarence is at his best in this song. And I watched a video of... Um, him singing this in concert live and what it does to the crowd of ah. girls is unbelievable. This is, I mean, if there's ever a lull, I'm sure he probably places it strategically and they're like, mm-hmm. okay, we're going to put this in like an hour seven because everyone's going to be half asleep. Right. I'm being sarcastic, of course, <laughs> but just, you know, at certain points when you can kind of realize the crowd might lose your attention, it's like you, you throw in a mm-hmm. song like Rosalita and it's just going to, everyone's going to jump up out of their and, seats and, if they are sitting and, down. And, and here's what bums me out about this. You got to remember, my exposure to Bruce Springsteen as a kid was radio. Oh, yeah. And, you know, yeah. and, and they play the hits. Uh-huh. And, but this song was released in 79 as a single in the Netherlands and, and in Europe, mm-hmm. some European countries. Yeah. But not the United States. No. But I remember hearing it on the radio a couple times. There were some places in Chicago that would play mm-hmm. deeper cuts off of albums. Um, and, you know, this was one that I would hear mm-hmm. quite a bit. And it just hooked me from the get-go. I it mean, does. Because you think it's over. And it's like, no, nah, we're about halfway through. Right. And it just ramps back up. And it just keeps you going. It's like you're out there dancing and you're expending all your energy. You're like, oh, I'm tired. And like, nope, not done. Right. Keep, you know, and they just pull you back. And What's interesting about this is, again, it's an autobiographical song, of course. but mm-hmm. um, And it's at, named after a girl, which there's a lot of songs named after girls. And, yep. um, and they think they're not exactly sure where Rosalita came from. But um, Diane Lozita, Lozito, yep. uh, his girlfriend, who was dating him when he wrote the song, she uh, believes he got the title uh, of the name from her grandmother, whose name was Rose. Lazito. And that makes sense too because he wants to pay respects to the elders. Right. You know, he wants, it's like, okay, I'm not going to write a song about a girl. He wants to pay, he wants to pay respects to the elders, but he also wants to stick it to him a little bit because this song's about a kiss off to everyone who counted you out. Exactly. And put you down and decided you weren't good enough. But it's, I'm going to do it to my girlfriend's grandma. Right. Because girlfriend's grandma's not going to bag on you Mm -hmm. and say you can't do that. Her dad might do it or her uncle or her older brother or somebody but grandmas grandmas are sweet and they're like oh go be romantic sweetheart everything uh." (laughs) like all right but dads aren't and you know there's a line in there about the record company you know getting the big advance and that that's actually referring to as twenty five thousand advance from columbia yep um it it, it was inspired by the 1960s souls reviews where artists would put all the energy into into a final song and when you think it's over just like you said they would keep it going it know? was keep i mean it, going. it is fantastic it's and it, like, it is also played <laughs> on the office of course and uh, uh when michael and dwight are dancing at dwight's wedding well yeah <laughs> so i mean it's i mean it it's all over springsteen's all over the place you can find his footprint in so many different mediums mm-hmm. television movies and whatnot and influence because 
everybody because he's just so relatable i mean we're going to come back to that so often mm-hmm. i'm sure what's ironic about this song and the twenty five thousand dollar advance that he put on this song and on this album um his record company was actually about ready to drop him yeah So in uh, 1974 and 75, as Bruce is, you know, uh, at risk of losing his record contract, um, he takes 14 months to uh, record Born to Run. And it's a banger. It definitely is um, a banger to really bring notice to who he is and what he's doing. Um, from he was striving to for the specter wall of sound in this in this production, and I believe he found it. Um, he needed this to be a hit, and he it was. And he, but along the way, he picked up um, Steve Van Zant um, to bring some sound that he wanted with the horns. And Van Zant was uh, actually um, playing guitar and managing Southside Johnny and the Jukes. Mm-hmm. And if that name doesn't sound familiar. Um, it's another Jersey band along the shore. Um, I I always took notice of this band because of the movie Adventures in Babysitting. Yep. And there's a, a scene in there where they go into a frat part fraternity party and uh, don't say that word. I know they uh, they this band is playing Southside Johnny and the Jukes, and I always liked that song they were playing in it. But anyways. Uh, Steve Steve Van, Steve Van Zandt was actually playing guitar and managing them, and uh, came in uh, and and Bruce and helped Bruce out, and uh, it it became quite a contributor to the album. And I think he's well. There's three people you you associate. I think more. Well, you could say four, but definitely Bruce obviously is the the ringleader. You know, Clarence Clemens stands out on mm-hmm. saxophone. Steve Van Zandt on guitar and Max Weinberg on the drums. I think those are the big four, mm-hmm. you know, you think of Bruce Springsteen besides, well, three besides Bruce himself. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Steve Van Zandt obviously has gone on to a uh, highly successful acting career outside of music <laughs> and everything else. Yeah. We know Sopranos and he's had some other little indie movie hits too. Right. You know, and if you've got satellite radio, you know, little Steven's underground garage, you can't, if, if you're a fan of music, you need to definitely give that a listen, you know, a solid listen, because it's going to open up your ears and mm-hmm. mind to a completely new side of music that you aren't going to know. Um, it definitely, you know, bringing Van Zandt on. I mean, he, he's definitely got the brains. I mean, he's contributed to Jackson Brown, um, Darlene Love, Meatloaf, and Nancy, Nancy Sinatra. So he's definitely got a talent when it comes to finding the right sound for yeah. music. Um, the uh, this this collaboration also inter- introduced him to uh, a guy named uh, Jimmy Iovine. Hey. And um, from what I understand, when the album was completed and they were they wanted to listen to it. They couldn't find a turntable, so they had to go into a record store. And they went into a record store and listened to it, and it, Bruce wanted to throw it in a pool. <laughs> it wasn't what he thought, but apparently Iovine convinced him, you know, it's ready, it's ready to go out. And it, it was officially released on August 25th, 1975. And Jimmy Iovine is also synonymous with Beastie Boys in his mm-hmm. work early on with them, uh, along with Rick Rubin. But he is he's another iconic music legend who has worked with the best of the best in helping them fine tune their voice, their sound, and then, but also marketing as well. I think that's more of his um, background is just kind of getting it out and, you know, figuring out which songs to release for singles. Um, you know, obviously back then in videos, which ones do we want to commit to more than mm-hmm. anything else? But then, Again, just also helping with everything outside of the actual completion and arrangement of the songs themselves. And you know, they they were they wanted to market. You know, they really really marketed this. And um, on August thirteenth, nineteen seventy five, he began a five night run of ten shows at the Bottom Line Club in New York. Oof. And these were broadcasted live on WNEWFM, which is kind of interesting. That I, I I read at the same 
day, the same day I was reading about this, um, <clears throat> I just bought a, um, a Grateful Dead bootleg vinyl, and I wanted to find out some information on this vinyl. The The record store I bought it from had didn't have any information. They didn't even know what the show, what show was from. They knew it was older. They thought it was 1971, so I looked it up, and I did some research on the order, the song list, and I found that it was... Um, it was a, a show, July 2nd, 70, 1971, from the Fillmore West, which was one of the last shows um, that, that, was, that was put on at the Fillmore. But um, what was interesting is, is they mentioned in that article about the Grateful Dead is that they, that was recorded to an FM station as well out there out west, mm-hmm. out in San Francisco. And to think, you know, Springsteen, you know, 75, this is still going on. They're broadcasting these live shows that are going on in the city or wherever they are and, and, and capturing them. And they also did the same thing. You know, um, Springsteen, they went out to the West and they went to the Rocks, the Roxy in West Hollywood where they played six shows to promote the album. And, and uh, you know, and while they're doing that, they're obviously pumping money in behind him too. And the record company is going and doing not separate interviews, but you know, talking to different publications and saying that Bruce Springsteen is the future of rock and roll. Right. And surprisingly enough, this upset him. Like mm-hmm. he wasn't pleased. It's no. like I don't want to be that guy. I don't. No, wanna... just humble. Yeah. I mean, he's like any any middle class guy would you know would be that attitude like yeah like i just want to do my thing exactly like i don't need to be and it's like i don't i don't want that pressure it's like that's that's silly and i think it's it's not a testament to who he is or you know he probably felt insulted by the fact that now people are going oh mr right. mr, mr. rock he and felt roll like star. he was being over promoted by the record company yeah but yeah. what's crazy is by the end of october he was on both time and newsweek yeah you know and uh it was interesting because i looked up i mean it's such a great album and um, Springsteen quoted, it is an album where I, f- I left behind my adolescent definitions of love and freedom. Yeah. It's a great you know, line. Um, I looked up, I thought, you know, this is such an amazing album to listen to. You know, f- first song to last song. Don't pick up the needle. We'll oh, have to no. flip it over. But um, I was wondering, okay, who won album of the year that year? So I started looking at the nominees, and the nominees were um, Elton John... Captain Fantastic, The Eagles, One of These Nights, Janice Ion, Between the Lines. And I was like, who's Janice Ion? And so I looked up the... Uh, the Janice the, Ian. Janice Ian, sorry. Janice Ian. See, I couldn't even say her name. <laughs> You're so flabbergasted. I know. And I'm like, who is this girl? She's she's getting um, she's getting nominated and uh, for one song at 17. And I listened to it. And I recognized it. I'm like, I know that song. I just didn't know that was her. Yeah. Um, Heart Like a Wheel uh, and Paul Simon, um, still crazy after all these years, which won the award. Yeah. But I'm like, I can't believe that this album didn't get more recognition than what it did. It's like we want to go back and just, you know, revote and right. kind of, you know, fix the wrongs of previous generations. You know, since everything's getting switched around these days anyway, it's like, let's go back let's and... Go, well, maybe, yeah. <laughs> you go and say, you know, this this album is really, was really amazing. Let's revisit this here. Um, <clears throat> the the cover, uh, is the original album cover, um, there's actually two covers. There's the original one, there's a title handwritten with a, a broad, uh, broad, broad nib pen. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's known as the script cover. Um, reflects how Bruce leaned on Clarence a lot throughout the years. Um, he's got that leather jacket. Um, actually belonged to his manager. I read, and it was taken by photographer Eric Miola. I think is how you say his name. Sounds right. Yeah, <clears throat> for the album, it is a great. It is a great picture. Oh yeah, you know. I mean, and that's I think part of the beauty that we appreciate uh, with not just the bands that we've covered but with so many artists is the album and the artwork mm-hmm. and just what goes into it and instead of some of it's pretty casual and you flip it but you know everyone's looking for something that's going to catch the eye right and you know back then that could benefit you and result in someone buying an album like mm-hmm. oh okay well we'll try that out okay so the album did reach number three on the Billboard charge, charts. It kicks off with Thunder Road. Yep. What do you think about Thunder Road? Thunder Road's iconic. I mean, 
you can't not associate Thunder Road with Springsteen. I mean, mm-hmm. it, you think that it's going it, to, it starts off a little lower, you know, it's not jump right and down your face like some intro songs are on albums, but Thunder Road is, is fantastic. Again, just perfect storytelling, you know, guy, car, and, you know, just that connection between the two. It's that I'm going to prove people, oh, God, this is all I need, me and my mm-hmm. car, and, and there's there's no place I can't focuses go. on the simple things in life, yeah. you know, and, and take a chance. Yeah. Um, it was inspired by the movie poster by Robert Mitchum called Thunder Road, from mm-hmm. what I read. It's amazing how little things you pass them, and it's like, oh, I can make a song about that or title a song out of it. That's a cool name. Yeah. Let's talk about 10th Avenue Freeze Out. Now, this song is... Um, it's interesting uh, because it basically reflects the coming together of the band. Mm-hmm. And uh, supposedly they talk about um, uh, Clarence coming in <laughs> at, a, at a club in Asbury called Student Prince. And he, they say he walked in the door and the door flew off the hinges. Yep. And it was supposed to, I guess there was a storm out. <laughs> it literally came off the, the, uh, the hinges. And you can just imagine... Uh, Bruce on stage or in the bar and this guy walking in he's just uh, got this massive presence frame you know and he says I want to jam with you I'm a social worker I play in some bands along the shore and you know what I I want to play and if you haven't heard the story I mean you can look it up on YouTube and I'm sure Springsteen will tell every variation of Mm -hmm. it and some between interviews and when he's doing band introductions in concert and everything. And it's just so captivating. And it's like everything you just, whether there's a little bit of hyperbole there or not, you just think like, that's exactly how it happened. That's exactly how it happened. And this is actually, um, Steven Van Zandt's first song with the band as well. So that is also obviously very appropriate for Mm -hmm. the coming together of the iteration that most of us know of the, Street band. It's it's one of my favorites. It's a it's a very soulful song, oh, yeah. and uh, I en- I enjoy it. You got Knight on there uh, again, describing blue collar workers striving to get to the nights and the weekends to race his car and mm-hmm. find the girl of his dreams. You know, uh, Backstreets is on it, and then you got Backstreets is great. Okay, what do you think about Backstreets? I love it because it's I mean it's again a nod to running around Jersey. Like mm-hmm. I'm not going to go to where I'm not going to go and be seen mm-hmm. basically somewhere. I'm going to go hang out in these alleyways or, you know, and not because I'm getting into trouble or I'm trying to break in or steal or do anything. It's just, we don't want to be bothered. Mm-hmm. You know, we want to go and hang out and not be, you know, bugged by, whether it's the police or adults or you kids, quit congregating there. You kids, what are you doing? Or be under the suspicious right. eye of. And while you would think that would also indicate, you know, you'd see that in back streets too. It's just no, we're just gonna sit here and, you know, find an abandoned building or just sitting there and and tell tales or hang out. You know, I'm sure drinking some too or whatever. Mm-hmm. But really, not not doing anything's really too bad. But just you know, that's kind of the crew that I run with. Right. Um, the, the, the name Terry in the song is, um, you know, it's kind of, they're not sure if Terry's a boy or a girl in this, Mm -hmm. you know, and some think it's after his girlfriend, uh, Diane Lozito, but they're just not sure about, again, he's mentioning either a boy or a girl, but there, it's never really been positively said who this is. And that's the other thing too, is that for the most part, he doesn't come out and say yes one way or another he just leaves it up to the listener Mm -hmm. to interpret it in the way that they want and that's the greatest thing you know as being a teacher of english um literature as you know most of what we read can be open to interpretation you know now obviously you need to prove your point on Mm -hmm. everything but it's still just the well what do you think it means and that's the one of the good aspects of my job and what i've been able to do is just kind of get you know, young ladies and young men to start thinking a little bit and like, well, why do you think this way? Okay, well, then that's what this means. And that, you know, as long as you explain yourself reasonably well, then I'll accept it. Like, Mm -hmm. really? You will? Like, yeah, just because we don't think eye to eye and just because we don't see eye to eye on something interpretive doesn't mean I'm right and you're wrong because I'm older than you. And I think that's what Springsteen wants to 
in um, put into his listeners as well as you know this song means something to me it could mean something more to you something different to you so I'm gonna sit here and just leave it be and not going to like burst your bubble well the next song um, means a lot to a lot of people Um, Billboard described it as one of the last rock anthems to individual freedom ever created and it is Born to Run Uh, Born to Run uh, actually reached number 23 Um, it's a love letter to a girl named Wendy Mm -hmm. Um, was actually recorded first by Alan Clark of the Hollies, really? but um, the release was delayed, hmm. which is interesting. Uh, I, I I listened to you know Alan Clark's um, version, um, but Bruce's is uh, definitely better. Oh yeah, I mean something that's so synonymous with him, you know, it's just like you would think like oh somebody else did a cover song of it, and you're like no, mm-hmm. but um, you just can't unhear no. his voice. So you could hear a version of this song, and then right away just like that's not Bruce Springsteen. And that's like, that's the one. It's, there's some songs that just shouldn't be covered. And this is the song, you know, because they were promoting the album. So they, they, they released it early. And so he was playing this at this these at shows um, that he was at. Like he opened for Bonnie Raitt. He played this song. And apparently John Landau, who would eventually become his manager, said, I saw Rock and Roll's Future. That's where it came from. Yeah. Was, you know, this song being played that night, May 9th, 1974, mm-hmm. at a, you know, as a warm up for Bonnie Raitt early lyrics page um, of this um, sold for $197,000 in December of 2013. I figure it'd be more. Yeah. Uh, It was covered by Frankie Goes to Hollywood, which actually sounds pretty good. Okay. Look it up. I I kind of, I I really enjoyed it. Um, It it sounded pretty good. And he did, I think he did complete that wall of sound he was looking for with this song. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it just echoes down mm-hmm. it crashes it comes back up again you know it's it's rosalita-esque but then even more so on top of right. it and i want to talk about the last three songs because from what i understand they kind of go together it's kind of a story she's the one meeting across the river in jungle land mm-hmm. and, and it's almost the story of this guy that's you know struggling and he he's in jersey um and he the he starts off with his girlfriend. She's the one um, reflect the boys' joys and yearning for summer nights, right? But then he, you know he finds himself going across the river, which would be, I guess, the the tunnel of the um, the Hudson River, and going over to New York. Yeah. And I mean, you, it's if you if you get a chance, I would definitely listen to those three songs and imagine. Okay, the, these songs um, kind of come together. Meeting across the river was actually. Um, um, there was a book written, a short story written by Jessica Kay and Richard Brewer, and they called it Meeting Across the River, and they were stories inspired by the haunting song by Bruce Springsteen, which nice. I think would be kind of a cool, since you're a language arts teacher, to dig that up and, and, and dig into that a little bit more. Absolutely. I need to do uh, a class on Bruce Springsteen and literature influenced by i mean just doing something like that yeah seriously in in general with literature influenced by musicians Mm -hmm. would be fantastic and then kind of looking and breaking down and no not in the cheesy way that's done in dangerous minds because that's been done to (laughs) death but try and find something unique Mm -hmm. um, because it is so influential and it goes back and forth and it's it just right. runs through all of us. So, uh, Jungle Land, the only thing I, I really want to say about that is that I found that it was a huge influence on Bob Seger's Night Moves. Yeah, of course. Um, Seger only had two verses completed and realized after hearing the song he could stretch out the story and explore different dynamics after hearing the song. Oh, yeah. Which, um, great. And it's a great song. I, lo- I love Jungle Land. I yeah. love the end of it. I love everything about it. The climax of Clarence's solo part. Um and then giving it back to the piano. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's one of the ones that going back and re-listening and like, oh, uh, just feeling mm-hmm. and like feeling bad that I haven't given this song the attention that it really deserves mm-hmm. and it really needs. I mean, yeah. it's the longest song on the album. And this was at a time when you could still do 10-minute songs and have them on the radio right. sometimes, but not all the time, but still... I mean, it's and it's a perfect way right. to close the album too by right. having something that you know completes not just the album itself, but the story that he's trying to tell. And you know, uh, we're kind of going quick here today. Uh, there's so much we could dig into on darkness on the edge of town. 
um, as well as um, the river. But real quick, um, give me give me like your your impressions of Darkness on the Edge of Town and, and the songs you enjoy. Darkness is it's another one where you kind of look at it. It's like okay, I got this because it was part of the Columbia House CD Club thing, mm-hmm. and I could get three of them for a dollar. And but I would look and see, and like, eh, I didn't really see anything on there that. I had known from Bruce at that point, mm-hmm. you know, but racing in the street, you know, but, but listening to it, racing in the streets, great. Adam raised a cane, I think is one of the more memorable songs on there. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, promised land and prove it all night. I think are the ones that kind of, uh, you know, darkness on the edge of town, obviously too, but prove it all night, I think is the most note worthy song on the album and while it might be a step back from mm-hmm. born to run i think you know the storytelling is still phenomenal i love badlands um candy's room yeah man i it, it's a darker outlook um with this girl but and no one really knows for sure who candy is but i really like that song and the mm-hmm. more i listen to it the more that i i i dig it yeah and i forgot about badlands it just like you just again like oh yeah that's there that's and but you don't associate that with this mm-hmm. album you think it goes on something a little bit more recent or something a little bit more high profile the promised land was actually inspired by a trip that, that he took to utah and nevada uh, with with the photographer that took the the born to run cover mm-hmm. and steven van zandt and i guess they took a four, 1965 ford galaxy and drove it to reno hmm. and slept in the car saw the wilderness and got caught up in a thunderstorm and all this stuff um the song's supposed to pay homage to chuck berry's promised land uh, there we go. song as well nice Okay, the river. <clears throat> Let's move on. Uh, Nineteen. That was nineteen seventy-eight. Moving on to nineteen eighty, he releases the river, <laughs> which included twenty of fifty songs that they had for this album. Yeah, the river. I think is his most personal album in terms of this is the the storytelling, mm-hmm. you know, and getting down into not just him but people and his family close individuals and whatnot but just you know kind of touching on some darker events as well um and but it just it it's great it's fantastic what's your songs from them hungry heart obviously jumps out um the river you know i want to marry you is again that high school crush and Mm -hmm. we're going to be together you know, the fact that it's a double album, too, just tells you everything. Um, Cherry Darling was great. It's like I'm just going through, you know, because we're going to do our top 12 for this one. But just mm-hmm. I like I, I had a heart. It's like I would cross something off and had something with mm-hmm. each album that I went to. And there were like four or five on here that I just kept going what, back and forth with. I love uh, Crush on You. And this is more of a deep cut for me. Yeah. Um, I think it's a solid rock and roll song and um, I love his voice in that song as well Cadillac Ranch um, another great one yep. comes from the Cadillac Ranch and um, I don't know how to say that city Ar- 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 Amarillo Texas Amarillo Amarillo thank you Amarillo Texas um, there's a, a sculpture of 10 Cadillacs buried hood first to the ground which um, that song comes from and I like I like the sax in that one um, just a great tune now, you mentioned Nebraska in 1984. Mm-hmm. He released Nebraska. Nebraska was not supported by the E Street Band. It was, it was more of him. Uh, what do you, I'm going to let you talk about it. I don't have a whole lot to say. I know it was more somber content about yeah. the blue-collar characters down on their luck. Um, not, one, not one of my faves. Not, I don't hate it, but it's not one of the first ones I'd go to. Well, he strips it down. So he, you know, just he kind of takes a step back. He gets back to the basics. And I think you have several artists and musicians do this at certain points in their lives. It's like they go, how, how big can we go? Well, how many sounds can we get in? You know, you talk about the wall of sound. He like completely did away with the wall of sound here. Mm-hmm. And again, kind of getting back into just the core of what really drove him early on. Right. So I'm sure he's feeling the pressure from not just now the record company, but the band's big and the band's got a lot of moving parts and lots of different input and lots of, 
you know, information egos that he's got to try and control as the boss, so to speak, Mm -hmm. you know, but then just like, okay, we're, I'm going to, I'm going to stop. This is almost like a, uh, I'm going to do like a side project. You see people do that all the time. Right. And it's like, Oh, you don't like to do the, you're sick of this. It's like, no, sometimes we just need a break from each other. And I think this is, that's his, his his little break. Right. And he, you know, gets back to these songs, you know, Atlantic city, um, highway patrolman, state trooper, again, kind of looking at, you know, these blue collar, individuals and people and jobs and it's like almost the the thankless jobs in a sense too so he gets back to his band in 1984 with born in the usa which was released perfect timing june 4th 1984 um produced seven top 10 singles it was the highest selling albums of all time, one of the highest selling albums of all time. 30 million copies sold by 2012. Um, <clears throat> but here's the thing he lost album of the year to Lionel Richie, Can't oh. Slow Down. But hold on. Yeah, it's, hold it was, on. It was, I, it was good. I want you to note one thing. There was one other album that was also nominated that, that year was that it, probably uh, should have won. Was it Thriller? It was Purple Rain. Per- oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So if we knew what we know now, yeah. you know, again, would we go back and, uh, and, and, and do that? It embraced a livelier, livelier mainstream sound, um, kept at the heart of rock and roll and what it should be. <clears throat> the, they, I, the photo was done by Annie Leibovitz. Um, pretty popular photographer, I, iconic rock and, and it roll made, photographer, it, it, iconic photographer, which made him a pop icon. That album did for yeah. sure. I think this is where he really gets thrust into the American mainstream limelight, um, and people start to scrutinize him as a person. Um, you know, we start getting into he gets into relationships with some actresses, mm-hmm. marries, divorces, eventually. Marries the fiddle player in his band. You know, we don't need to get into any of the personal jazz. But he just becomes more um, in our conscious. But as a kid, as a child listening, 12-year-old listening to this, this, you know, Born in the USA song, I'm I'm thinking it's a patriotic song. Mm -hmm. And I I think the way they marketed it with the American flag on the cover and him, I mean, it almost makes you sound, you're you're a patriot, but no one's really listening to the lyrics. No. And and, and then even today, I mean, you've got people from our current, or not our current president, but the one before him, all the way back to Ronald Reagan that want to use this in their political rallies. And it's not kind of like realizing what it not is. Not really realizing that this is not what you think it is. Yeah. Um, it was actually, the album was actually the first compact disc manufactured in the U.S. for commercial um, release. Huh. Um, um, and it was manufactured in Terre Haute, Indiana. Terre Haute. Terre Haute. Um, so it, it helped popularize uh, the Heartland Rock, and it reached number one by July 7th. Go yeah. figure, you yeah. know, a week after 4th of July. And it remained on the uh, number one for seven weeks and then remained on the chart for 143 weeks. It's insane. It ranks 275th in Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Songs of All Times. This is Born in the USA. The yeah. song or the album? Yeah, the actual song. Yeah. Um, and you know Springsteen refused Lee Iacocca's request? He was going to pay him a cool $12 million to use it in a Chrysler commercial. And he said, nope. <laughs> and well, and that was at a time when nobody had their songs in commercials, right. you know, musician. I mean, it's everywhere now uh-huh. and people are like, Hey, we got to make our money any way we can. Right. But there was that, uh, integrity piece that kind of went through quite a bit mm-hmm. of all of these popular bands. Like, no, you're not going to use my sound. Right. And, but you know who he did let it use? Two Live Crew. What? He let Two Live Crew sample it. For, because he oh, felt like band. they had the freedom, they, they should yeah. be able to say what they want to say. And he for, thought they were being unfairly charged. For banned in the USA. Yeah. So he let them use it. And then uh, he did not sing it at his 2009 Super Bowl halftime show. Interesting. Which is it? Yeah. And here's what's ironic about this whole thing uh, the rights to the song are owned by a Japanese company. Really? Because Sony bought the rights 
when they bought Columbia oh, Records. <laughs> this, like, this whole thing is just <laughs> mind-boggling to me. It is. It is. I, I can't imagine. I mean, that's just the unscrupulousness <clears throat> of, mm-hmm. of music as a whole. That. So, so, I mean, we could sit here and talk about every song on this album Easily. because it's 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 amazing. Easily. It, side one, you can just play with, you know, Cover Me, well, starting with Born USA, Cover Me, Darling in County, Working on the Highway, love that rockabilly sound. Yeah. Um, down Downbound Train, um, I'm on Fire. I, it, it just keeps going and going and going. And that's just side one. Yep. And side two just starts off with another banger with no surrender. I mean, that's like Born in the Run mm-hmm. two point or, or Born to Run two point And that was actually put on at the insistence of Van Zant. Really? Yeah. He, 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 <laughs> they again, were gonna, they were going to leave that one off. Well, that's, I mean, he, he he insisted it's on and it, it got put on wow. because he. I mean, that's how good his hearing is. Um, Bobby Jean is actually uh, considered to be about Van Zant leaving the E Street Band yeah. at the time. Uh, great solo sax on that one. I'm going down. I love that song. I'm <laughs> down, down, down. down. <laughs> Let's talk about Glory Days just a little bit, all right? Because, I mean, <clears throat> Glory Days, the video, number one, does it perfect. It was actually, you know, reliving these old days of Little League, and you know, but this actually happened. This is, again, autobi- autobiographical. Uh-huh. He, he met up with his school friend Joe DePue, um, at a bar in Neptune, uh, New Jersey, and, and they were, they just started reliving old days. He's like, well, let's make a song out of it. The the scenes of the video were, were shot in West New York in Hoboken. Um, this video, I was looking at the video, and I saw there's a there's a there's a video in uh, in it of Dwight Gooden striking out a, a batter, and I'm like, that's a red. That is a Cincinnati red he's striking out. And I started like digging in. Who is he striking out? Who is he striking out? And from what I understand, according to the Tampa Bay Times, the batter is uh, Tom Foley. <laughs> oh, he had those goofy-looking glasses, didn't he? Yeah, so it was him. And um, also interesting about this video, his his uh, actress wife, model wife, Julianne Phillips, mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I'm going back. I'm like, she looks familiar. And I was like... She was in Fletch List. Yep. <laughs> she was Fletch's girlfriend. So it was interesting to go back and watch this video and see it. And it, it just it's a great song to sit, sit there and think back, man, yeah, this is think about those days when you were in high school. And, and just he brings you back. King of the Hill yeah. or you know, we all in our own mind were in so in certain ways, but you know, just that uh, it, it is. It's a good song. Mm-hmm. It's it's definitely something you can put on and just kind of the words just pop back into your yeah. head. Uh, Dancing in the dark, um, again, uh, iconic a, video, a banger. It was recorded at the St. Paul Civic Center um, on June twenty eighth and 29th, nineteen eighty four, which they had to record it twice to get the different shots. And it was interesting because I listened to my wife all the time talk about when she went to the John Mellencamp concert. And she, he's like, he played Check It Out like eight times. And like, well, she's like, they were recording a video. Uh, and they, like, okay, let's let's listen to the same song eight times. But you're in the video somewhere. See, I was at a Lenny Kravitz concert, and they only did it twice. <laughs> they only, like, yeah. I guess, I guess Lenny and Bruce know how to get it done. But Springsteen actually didn't know that Courtney Cox was an actress. He knew she was the girl he had to pick out. Really? That, but he didn't know she was an actress. Huh. She had already had, she had already had some credits on um, As the World Turns. Uh. So, but and it was also they also. It makes me wonder about this video if they just made it quick, or because I think originally and the plans was for this to be focused on these group of girls going to the Springsteen concert, okay, and she being picked out kind of almost like a Huey Lewis video, you know, yeah. how they tell those stories. Mm-hmm. But you know, they went with just the that live footage for the most part for that video. The dancing Courtney Cox does does it look familiar? It does, but you know what it influenced? Hmm. Oh, uh, Pulp Fiction. No, dang, what the Carlton <laughs> <laughs> from the for the Fresh Prince? Oh my god, it helped influence the Carlton, which you know, Courtney Cox, go for it. That's awesome. A, that's too funny. Yeah, so um, he did win a Grammy for that one for best vocal. Uh, it was uh, it was supposed. It looked like it was going to go to number one. The Reflex was number one. And the week before, and then um, it looked like it was going to take over the reflex, but a little song called When Doves Cry came out. Yeah. 
Prince. And kind of moved into its place. Yeah. Prince. Pretty quickly. Prince has some bangers himself. Yeah. And then they end the album with My Hometown. Um, such a great, iconic album. Amazing. You know, when, when I think of, you know, looking back at these albums that we've looked back at today. The, some it, quicker than others. Some quicker than others. There's so much to talk about Bruce yeah. Springsteen. And we'll probably do another episode where we look at more of his other albums and his most recent one, which I absolutely love. Yeah. You know, it's interesting to look back at the music he has created for more than 50 years. Springsteen wasn't an overnight sensation, but he did become an American icon, writing and singing songs about American life and times. The average American could relate to his music and lyrics even if they weren't listening as close as they thought they were. And I don't think we ever really listened that close in the first, first go around. It's, I, don't, you know, I think it's hard for teenagers to do that. Oh, yeah. You, just, you, hear, you mm-hmm. hear if it's a, it's a fast song, it's a quick song, it's got a good guitar section, drums, horns, whatever cap- captures your attention mm-hmm. more than anything else. But then as you go through and experience life and come back and can reflect on it, it's it's something that we all have connected with. His songs continue to ref, you know reflect the times of his life and ours. If you think about it, it's almost as if he's creating the soundtrack of every middle class American. Absolutely, there's I mean there isn't there are seven at least seven to ten songs that you can hear from Springsteen that can have some portion of your story is told mm. within them easily. Real quick, you ever seen him in concert? No, no, me neither. So that's one thing we have in common. Yeah, never saw him in concert. That's on my bucket um, list. What's your deep cuts? Uh, my deep cuts are outtakes that have kind of on um, Born to Run and Nebraska and Darkness on the Edge of Town, but Lonely Night in the Park, mm-hmm. um, and then Jenny Needs a Shooter. So you okay. can just look those up on the tube of you and they're they're pretty they're pretty solid and actually jenny needs a shooter um he worked on that and was released by warren zevon at one point too i got three uh night off of born to run crush on you off the river and candy's room off of darkness okay so those are those would be my three deep cuts that i would highly suggest um listening to all right we come to the part of the show we tried to do top five and it's just impossible yeah so and then we started then we said 10 and i um i texted you last night and i said i can't do 10 um we have to do 12 mm-hmm. so we said let's make it a cool dozen real quick what's your what's your dozen well in addition to the two deep cuts i just threw those on my 12 just kind of make it easy but growing up on asbury park the river, off the river, Atlantic City, on Nebraska, uh, Born to Run, um, Backstreets, Thunder Road, Jungle Land, which is also Clarence's favorite, uh, Sherry Darling, and Out on the Street and the River, um, No Surrender, by Born in the USA, Rosalita, uh, and that's it. All right, so I did Glory Days, uh, Working on the Highway, Crush on You, The Promised Land, Candy's Room, Born to Run, Badlands, Jungle Land, 10th Avenue, Freeze Out, Rosalita, Growing Up, and Blinded by the Light, the one that started it all. Nice. And as a special um, top 10 slash 12, 15 as well, uh, one of my buddies, my buddy Doug, is a big Springsteen fan. Like He's got everything and known everything, seen him, went to the play in New York and watched and everything. Mm So his is The River, Atlantic City, Thunder Road, Racing in the Streets, Independence Day, Badlands, Downbound Train, Highway Patrolman, Ghost of Tom Joad, Promised Land, and then Honorable Mention, Because the Night, Lost in the Flood, Youngstown, and Bobby Jean. Um, but he's uh, he, well, to his grave, stand on the hill, he'll die on the hill of The River is the number one greatest <laughs> song ever written. And he's partial to his acoustic albums, which is Nebraska and, and Tom Joad. Um, so he kind of his list is outside of a little bit of fans. But yeah, it almost sounds like we needed to have him here. Yeah, discussion. he's, he's kind of like us with you two, where we know some of the earlier, deeper, uh, darker stuff and everything, or you know, deeper cuts and everything. Um, you know, and he acknowledges some of the the greater songs like "Born to Run" and. Um, um, things off of Born in the USA, but you know he likes to go with some of those deeper ones. So he thought he'd just treat us to that. Very nice, very nice. Um, I want to thank everyone that um, answered on social media. Um, lots of Noblesville friends who responded to my social media request. I loved hearing Bill's story about his drive through Nebraska and 
um, Josh getting a forty dollar seat to a show, a floor seat, which was awesome. And thanks for sending uh, sending out those memories, great memories, and uh, I know he'll continue creating more, and then some. Yeah, for many years to come. Well, we want to thank you for listening to uh, episode ten of the music that makes us. Uh, ten. Yeah, this was a this was a big one. This was a hard one to squeeze in in an hour. We're apologizing for going over a little bit. Uh, we will plan on getting one cranked out quicker in the next month. As long as we stay healthy. Yes, definitely stay healthy. Now we have our shots and been and or been through COVID. Yeah. So uh, we want to thank you for um, your time and keep uh, checking out social media for us. And if you have any suggestions of future shows, let us know. We, we'd love to hear what you guys have to say. And eventually we'd love to have people come and uh, have our conversation with us around the table. Yeah, I got a little studio in the works potentially. So, uh, you know, hopefully very soon we can set up something a little bit more permanent. All right. Well, for the music that makes us, I'm Randy T. And I'm Donnie Z. Have a good one. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, everybody.